0: We've been doing a series on uh, hope. It's only two parts, but it's one of the most important qualities of following Christ. It really means a lot to us in ways that um, sometimes I don't think we step back and appreciate. Um, And I just want to kind of kick it off a little bit by telling you uh, a brief story about um, the people that live in my house, namely the only people that are really left besides Stephen. Two cats, dog, five gecko lizards that were supposed to go to a college dorm but didn't. But nonetheless, that's another story for another time. Uh, but the cats, I at one point thought that they were pretty decent and pretty, um, you know, God-fearing and honoring of the domain. Uh, until one day, uh, out of the routine, I came back home and uh, the cat didn't know that I had walked in the door. And when I did, the cat was doing something that the cat normally I've never seen done before. And that is, uh, he was up walking around on the counter, tearing into food on the, on the counter and stuff like that. And I'm like, is this what goes on? when mom and I and the kids leave the house and the cat looked at me and it had a look of like you're not supposed to be here and then it jumped onto the floor and ran off and I wasn't quite sure how to process that and I wondered do cats feel shame or guilt for doing things that uh, they're not supposed to be doing what, what, what's going on in their little brains and I didn't sense remorse at that moment. Uh, however, uh, dogs are a little, bit more, um, they're a little bit more transparent whenever it comes to depicting what's going on in their mind. At least I thought so anyway. Because it wasn't too much longer after that. I remember coming home and I was looking for this bag of beef jerky that I, that I had stashed. And I stashed it because I have other beef jerky bandits in our house uh, that I have to fight to keep from stealing it all. So I thought it was secure until I went to find it, and I discovered it was it was actually taken off of the counter because no kids were going to be home that day. And as I um, was looking around, I saw the dog acting funny, and I thought, "Nah, he didn't get up there and take it." But somehow, somehow, he managed to pull it off. It must have been on the edge of the counter and pull it off, and um, and, and basically consume or destroy. Its entire contents. The only way I knew that is because of the way the, the bag had been eviscerated behind the couch. And it didn't have the telltale signs of cats. It was clearly the dog. And the dog had a look on his face like, yeah, I did something. And I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, you bet you did something. And I don't know how to punish you, but once I figure that out, I'm going to get you back. Um... And then I thought, you should at least feel guilty or shame for what you've done. And all the dog would do is just sort of cower. And he just sort of avoided me for the remainder of the day. And so I looked it up. And I thought, great, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Can dogs feel guilt? And you know what it said? Chances are those indications that you have after the dog has done something wrong of seemingly being remorseful, that's not remorse at all. That dog is just afraid that you're going to somehow retaliate and it's going to be the end of his world. And I'm like, great. So he's done something that he knows he shouldn't do. And now he has no sensitivity at all to the magnitude of the crime here. I mean, as a punisher, how do I even respond to that? But... It gets a little trickier when it comes to us. And that's where I think uh, where dogs are hopeless, cats are really hopeless, I think we have some hope. Because God sees the stuff that we do almost from the vantage point of how we maybe see our own children sometimes. And he has misgivings about some of the ways that we carry on. Some of the times he warns us, other times uh, he just says, go for it, see what happens. Make your choices, choice will make you. And a lot of us have done that. We've made our choices, and our choices have actually not made us. They've started to undo us. And that's where hope, I think, is really, really important. If uh, you're familiar with the Gospel of John, uh, it is uh, the last of the four Gospels in your Bibles. And the beautiful thing about John is he has a sensitivity that the other Gospel writers don't seem to reflect as, as, as clearly. And what I enjoy about that is uh, one of the primary themes in, in the book is, is love. And he even describes himself as the apostle whom God loved. Not that he didn't love the others, but he just felt, he felt overwhelmed by God's, God's um, uh, just all-encompassing love that had pour, been poured into his life. And I think for John, whenever he was writing that letter, it was significant not only because he felt it, but because he saw it happen. And the story that I, I want to relate to you, that I think is a hopeful story, is found in John chapter four, and it's a story that maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not. Uh, but I, I'll just paraphrase it uh, as I go through it, so that you can benefit from it, uh, maybe from where you're coming from right now. If you can imagine um, a, a lady who has um, uh, grown up with uh, w- with the, with with the blessing of being. Being being fairly attractive and always having people uh, looking at her, especially men. And she's gone through life with that sense of even having some degree of power in that regard. But as time went on, she discovered that maybe it wasn't so great after all, that this actually was leading to a lot of misery. Um, And she was at a place in her life where that misery had compounded itself so much that she wasn't even thinking about her beauty anymore as much as her unworth. And as um, John tells the story, it seems like for whatever reason, Jesus was aware of her pain. And I I know this as I read the story because of the way Jesus um, uh, entered into uh, this lady's life and into conversation with her. And it wasn't so much... Um, the conversation, or uh, the way that he's um, revealed himself, as much as the location for right now. Uh, in the story in John chapter four, there is um, there is this lady who's starting to think, "I my life is over. I can't have a decent relationship with anyone because I've tried and tried and." it seems like it never ends well. And her pain had actually turned into shame because in all these attempts to try to connect with another human being and to find her soul satisfied in that relationship, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And the reason I know is because of the way John tells the story. So a couple of things that I've clued you into. One is... She is um, she's gathering water like anybody else would do in that setting. She's going to the well like uh, is normal for households to do, but the problem is the time of day that she's doing it. It seemed like the only time of day that she could go and not be recognized by other people uh, was in the middle of the day when it was scorching hot. Now, did she want to go in the middle of the day? No, but she, she didn't mind the pain of the heat of the Middle Eastern Son, as much as the pain of what would happen if she found herself having to have conversations with her with her fellow townspeople. Reason being is the the attitude towards her had shifted in the community from uncertain to unfavorable, and she just felt it. And it's kind of like sometimes I I've, as a pastor. Uh, every time I go out, I see somebody I know, which is awesome. But occasionally, like it'll be, you know, ten, and I'm at night, I'll 10 o'clock at night and I need like some milk for breakfast. And I'll leave the house and I'll be like, I hope nobody sees me because my hair is a mess and I'm looking pretty cruddy. I just want to run in, get the milk and head back home and have my bowl of cereal before I go to bed. I know that sounds ridiculous. But that's, that's something that um, would cause me to go out. But there are others who go out 11, 12, 1 o'clock at night because, well, same reason. They just don't want anybody to see them. And imagine this lady going out at night at, at um, one of the local stores that stays up all night, and she just needs one thing, water. So she goes to aisle 13, and she finds... Uh, the selection that has all the bottled water and she puts it in her cart and as she's moving forward she sees somebody who she's never seen before but there's something about him that is clearly different and it's essentially the same thing Jesus had gone into an environment and a place that people were going whenever they didn't want anybody to see him and he had a specific reason and it was so that she could take that pain that had been accumulating for so long and find a good place to put it and then replace it with something much better. And the problem that she faced is one I think you and I face. Uh, You know, we can be like the animals I described and do things that we know aren't right and that will make us guilty, especially if we're caught. Sometimes we don't feel guilty until we're caught. And the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is something that you feel sporadically when things happen that, you know, probably shouldn't have happened. Guilt is, is a way of saying, I did something wrong. Shame is, a, is just an amplification of that which says, I am wrong, I'm messed up. It goes beyond just doing something. I, I just feel it like it's in my very being. It's in my identity. And it's wired into me and I just am heavy hearted over it. Probably all of us in this room feel a little bit of that from time to time. Especially when you come into a room like this sometimes. Because a room like this represents, it represents a lot of things. One is the great love of God that we talk about. But there's also a great divide between him and us. And sometimes we come here and we feel that. And if you're feeling either one, that's okay because you're in the right place. Jesus, as we look at this story, I think gives us some assurance for that. And as uh, he engages her in conversation, uh, she's just shaking her head like, obviously you're not from around here, are you? And it'd be like being in a local store and hearing, talking to somebody from New Jersey. No, No slam on anybody from New Jersey, but... When I talk to people from New Jersey, I'm like, you talk funny. They're like, you talk funny too. I'm like, okay, we're even. But Jesus had a way of presenting himself where she understood exactly what he said, but it was how he was saying what he was saying that was different. And as the conversation got started, it became clear that Jesus had a mission here. And she was getting increasingly uncomfortable with it. And so he engages her a little bit. And she said, sir, did you come here for water? And he said, "Uh, yeah, but not the kind that you're thinking of. The kind of water that I'm looking for is the kind that will will go on forever. And she's like, huh? And it was his way of saying, you come here every day in the middle of the day for reasons that tell me you're looking for something in your life Because you haven't found it yet, and you're also running away from something in your life that you also haven't found a way of dealing with. And Jesus said, how's that working for you? Is that getting you where you need to go? Is coming here every day for water? Really, the answer? Or are you looking for something more long-lasting? And it was just a way of pointing to a reality that I think you and I clue into whenever we're feeling the weight of guilt and shame. And that is, how can I find relief from this? And Jesus knew exactly what she needed. So the time of day is really significant. The shame that she had, obviously, was keeping her from having conversations with other women. I mean, if a, if a, if a woman was going to get water in that part of the, re, the country... It would always be in the evening, and it would always be a gathering of other women, and it would be like going to Starbucks or Dunkin' or name your favorite iced coffee venue. And as they're gathering and they're talking, it's all fun. And the times that she showed up, it was interesting. Because people would sort of pull together, and then they would look at her, and she knew what they were saying. Yeah. She's, um, she's been with that person, and this person, and this person, and this person. And then the words that they would use as one-word descriptors are extremely painful. And she's saying in her heart, I'm not a bad person. But I'm not finding what I need in life that's going to provide for me that satisfaction that water kind of does. And the living water that Jesus talked about certainly will. Avoiding all contact with people because she was feeling that naming and shaming. She just kept her distance. And as Jesus walked to that well, what we have to consider is what John is describing is a social situation that we can't fully appreciate unless we... We're aware of the dynamics in the northern part of the uh, region of the of the of the um, Palestine at that time was uh, a region called Galilee where Jesus spent most of his ministry and he did all kinds of things uh, healing wise and showing compassion and things like that. Then there was this region that right below that it was a place where well it was a place where he didn't go. And the problem was, below that was a region where everyone went. And it was called Judea. It was where the temple was. It was Jerusalem. It was where you went for every festival and feast. And any sober, self-respecting Jew that was going to go from one place to the other would never, ever go through that place. You just didn't do it. And if you did, chances are there would be conflict there would be hostilities that would escalate. And if you went there, you just went there at the risk of your life. So most people, even though it took a quite a bit longer to go a long circuitous route, they just went around that place where those people live. And those people were what the Bible calls Samaritans. They were people that were, they were an intermix of Israelites from uh, the time of um, uh, Abraham who had dispersed over A period of years and then resettled in that that part with the the pagan neighbors. And it just wasn't a good mix. And it got even worse because they felt completely disconnected from God or the temple or Jerusalem or worship or church. They just said, no, we're going to have to kind of make up our own way. And they did what Jesus was trying to do was show that he had a message that not only reached out to people that weren't his own kind, but it was a message that would reverberate out to us who are also not really his own kind. And he had a reason for that. And the first one is he just felt a lot of compassion for her as I know he feels compassion for You. As this conversation went on, you can see it begin to emerge. He starts talking to her, and when he does, he looks in her eyes, and she looks back at him, and she thinks to herself, not only does he talk funny, but he's not looking at me like a lot of guys have been looking at me. Usually, there's like a a pickup line, there's somebody that somebody says, they're trying to hit on me, and I just... I'm tired of all of that. But when I look at his eyes, I don't see any of that. I just see somebody that cares and seems to care a lot. And so while they're conversing and there's this repulsion that is automatically in the air, there's a conversation beginning to emerge and an openness starting to happen. And as Jesus is sharing conversationally some of these things, um, he said out of the blue, go fetch your husband. And up to that point, she's thinking, well, this was going pretty well. He obviously, he was caring for me, and the conversation actually was starting to say, he gets me. He he was almost going into counselor mode with me, but now he's saying, oh yeah, go get your husband. And that kind of freaked her out a little bit because now he's prying a little bit too personally into her life. And we've all been there. Somebody engages us in conversation and then all of a sudden they start going places where you don't want to go because that layer is closed for conversation for pretty much everybody except maybe a paid counselor. And that is only disclosing as much as I would feel comfortable about. But that is the layer that for some reason seems to just plague me everywhere I turn and maybe that layer is something that you've carried into this place yourself as you've gathered for worship and it's a layer that God says i want to heal i want to take that very shame that very if it's guilt even and i want to transform that i want to change that in your life and I can't tell you how burdened I am by this. This, this, song, this, this particular story hits very personally home to me because um, being uh, the youngest of three siblings, um, it's kind of strange because my older sister, uh, who's 15 years older than I am, is like a second mom. And then her cousin is like a, an aunt. Uh, and I, I, I became, uh, in time, real close to these two people. And my sister, being somebody that um, I could pretty much confide in her about anything, and my aunt was somebody who always watched out for me until her husband said, I found somebody else, and it's over. And I just saw her go from here to here. It just crushed her. They were upper middle class people, had vacations. Nice home, three kids, all the stuff that you'd long for. And then next thing you know it, she's living in the trailer park. And I'm just watching her life begin to just unravel. And I'm deeply pained by the fact that she went from here to this place where she's just constantly in despair. She began to self-medicate, basically drinking increasingly and that went on for probably 5 6 years where she almost destroyed her liver and i think in hindsight what would have happened if somehow some way jesus conversationally could have walked into her world i really don't know i mean i wasn't that aware of her her life from that point of view but i just can only think if I were me now and I saw her going through that then, I'd want her to know, look, I don't know why this happened. I don't know all the circumstances. I don't, you've, you've had repeated boyfriends and you're now just dehumanized. I would just love to go back in time and tell her. There's a story I want to tell you and it's this story. And as Jesus is sort of moving from guy that cares to counsel her to where now she's looking at him and her soul is opening up in front of him and she's saying, oh my goodness, he knows that I not only had one husband, I've had five and now I'm living with somebody and oh, this is too much. Who is this weirdo? Who is this guy prying into my life? And I'd I'd probably be that way. I'd be like, you've gone to places where you're not given permission to go. And I'm sure she was starting to think that in terms of the resistance. I mean, what would you do, honestly? Somebody came up to you and started just moving deeper and deeper into your life. You'd be trying to get that person out of the equation as quickly as you possibly could. You'd you'd be thinking of ways to just say, look, I'd rather have a colonoscopy before I talk to you again, so I'm going to avoid you like the plague. And... The reason Jesus went there, though, is he knew that this was, the, this, was, this was really what was on the table. Her life was broken, and it needed healed. And so he just turned this to the surface, and as he's turning this to the surface, she's saying, I don't know what else he's going to come up with, but I almost wish I would have waited till the evening to go get water. And then... She so thought, well, I'm gonna do what everybody else does. I'm gonna distract the situation. I'm gonna create a smoke screen. I'm gonna to try to avoid however I can going into that place. And maybe that is the whole reason why we carry it, is because we allow things to keep us from dealing with it in the most healthy way possible. There may be other reasons, but I would say that that's probably one of them. And the hard part about it is today, there was a time when she was walking to the well and all she could think about was, you know, her list of to-dos, but it would always be there and she'd have to process it and it just kind of got under her skin. But for us, we can distract ourselves easily enough. I mean, something pops into my head and I'm uncomfortable with it. I'll just get my phone out and I'll say I wonder if I got any emails. I wonder if uh wonder what's happening in the news. I wonder, you know, if they're selling I don't know, doilies on Craigslist, anything. So, there we are. Because the one thing that we don't want to do is go there even in our own head. And they say that New York Times wrote an article, there was an article in New York Times just not too long ago that said, we are the anxious generation. And I think one of the reasons why we're the anxious generation is because we don't take the time to deal with what's going on inside our house. We just distract ourselves thinking it'll go away. But we're not designed that way. God made us to have these mechanisms of shame and guilt and all of that so that we can respond to them in the most constructive way possible, find healing, and then find peace and joy and love. And if this is something that's working in your heart, you are in the right place because God has you here for a reason. You may be thinking, I, 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 you may be one of the people who are here because you're thinking a year ago, I can't even imagine coming into a church a year ago. And if somebody said a year or two ago, I couldn't even imagine Donald Trump running for president. But yet, here you are. Here we are. God made a conversation with you in some way. And it brought you into his presence so that maybe your soul needs to be laid bare a little bit. It's, it's uncomfortable. But he's not just a guy that cares. He's not just a counselor. He's not just somebody who's a prophet who can see into your soul. What Jesus said at the end was his response to her smokescreen. And her smoke screen was this, you're getting too close, so let's talk about worship. You want to? You know, your people worship there, we worship down here. Uh, What do you think about that, huh? That's a very debatable topic. Let's just go down that rabbit hole for a while. And Jesus said, there will come a time and a place when, you know, we worship, uh, not here or there, but we worship in spirit and in truth. Meaning that everything that is real about life as we live it here on planet earth is going to be the subject matter of worship. And it's going to have to do with our heart and the spirit laying bare our heart before God and the truth speaking to our heart on that matter. And then God saying, now that I've named that, I'm going to call that out and I'm going to heal you of that so that you can be released from the burden of your shame and your guilt. Because Jesus went on to say, Not only will you not worship in this place or there in spirit and in truth, but when she said, Well, when the Messiah comes, we'll certainly go that direction, then won't we? And he said, The one whom you're speaking to is He. And that's what I love about this story. The Messiah, the king, the one who was supposed to ride in in the glorious charger saying, We've declared war on everything and we're in control. Put that aside and said, I've declared war on those things that keep the people I love the most captive, and I'm going to do something about it personally. And so he made his way through pretty bad territory in order to tell her one important thing God loves you, you need a savior. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I've come through everything that I've come through in my life so that I could bring this gift to you. Now, the thing about gifts is we don't always appreciate it until we understand where it's coming from. And she didn't understand the gift that Jesus was laying at her feet when he presented himself in that way. But eventually, it just soaked in. It's like, holy cow, that guy saw right into my soul. That guy sees right into your soul and my soul. But you know what I like most about Jesus? Is there are times when I go through pain, I'm like, God, you don't understand. You've never lived in the 21st century. You don't know my story. God says, Yeah, I've been there. I've felt pain like you felt pain. I know what it's like. And all of a sudden, my defenses go down because I'm like, He does get it. And then God looks at you and I and He says, You do need a counselor. You need a wonderful counselor. And I'm that counselor. And God looks at you and I and he says, you need someone to speak the truth into your world because the lies have been eclipsing and obscuring what the heart of the matter is. And I'm here to speak the truth in love. And when you hear it, you're going to need someone to say, but I got your back. I'm here for you. I'm here to help you. I'm not here to help you. I'm here to change what's going on in your life so that whatever is stealing your joy can no longer take it away from you. And maybe Jesus is laying bare some stuff in your life in this season. And maybe he's giving it a name and you're saying, no, I'm not ready to go there. I just want to tell you it's okay if you go there. Because he doesn't leave you there. He only takes you there so that you can go to a place that you have always longed for. A place that serial relationships couldn't heal. A place that your sins couldn't answer. A place that your addictions though they provide hope and promise always leave you empty. A place where you will constantly feel a sense of refreshing and peace. Some of us have come to know that place and there's no place like it. And some of us have taking on the burden and the responsibility to share this place conversationally with as many people as we can. And today is just one of those conversations where we hope that somehow Jesus is speaking through us to you and whatever it is that's tripping you up, that's keeping you held down, we can help you get over it. And it's only Jesus who really is the game changer in the equation Not us, but him just saying, I'm going to work through you for her or for him. And if you need to do that at the end of the service, we have some elders in the room. We'd love to pray with you and help you and just share to the degree that you feel comfortable. We try to be trustworthy people. We don't gossip or talk about people in the church. We're here to shepherd and heal. And I just want to offer that to you because I believe there is hope. And our hope ultimately is Jesus.